Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. My name is Oliver Hartwig and today we are joined by Retail NZ's Chief Executive Greg Harford. Morning, Greg. Good morning. Great to have you on our podcast. There's plenty to talk about. I mean, we all know as consumers how retail is doing these days and how expensive things have become. But we want to take a different perspective today and talk about the perspective of the retailers themselves because there is a lot of stuff happening in your sector. We have so many things to talk about. We could talk about crime, the RAM rates. We could talk about inflation. We could talk about fair pay agreements. We could talk about the cost of doing business. We could talk about COVID. We have to start somewhere. So maybe we start with a topic that really interests all of us, inflation. How is it for your members dealing in this inflationary environment? How different is it from what you have experienced? You've been with Retail and Z for eight years. How different is this period now compared to everything you've experienced so far? Yeah. The world's a really interesting place now, Oliver, and we've seen massive costs coming into the retail sector. In the, the eight years or so that I've been at Retail NZ, we've always asked members regularly about their inflationary expectations and what they think is going to happen to, to their prices. And they've consistently told us, actually, that they, they think it's time for prices to move, but it's never happened. And, and that's largely, I think, because of competitive pressure that's been put on both by other retailers here in New Zealand, but also the internet, which means that global retailers are effectively competing with our members here in New Zealand. But over the last couple of years, the scale of cost increases that has come down the track and has hit retailers means that it's really just not sustainable to try and keep a lid on prices. And, and, and both here in New Zealand and all around the world, we're seeing prices go up. The cost of freight, depending on who you talk to, has increased by a sort of 500 to 700% over the last couple of years. So that in itself is a, is a massive cost. Energy, probably. E energy is, is a massive cost, cost of uh, power. Fuel to power your distribution network within New Zealand has obviously been significant over recent recent times. And of course, the cost of employing people has gone up massively over the last few years. So the minimum wage is lifted from $16 an hour or thereabouts to its current $21. And yeah, we've uh, got figures this week, actually. I think the median wage went up by 8.8% in one year. Yeah, so so there's some massive increases in, in the cost of employing people. Uh, the average wage in retail now is twenty six sixty five an hour. You know, that's, that's actually Quite a, quite a good number, but it does have impacts on the cost of running business. Add into that the additional week sick leave that applies to anyone, even if you only work one day a week. Add into that the cost of extra public holidays and so forth, and you've got a whole lot of cost that retailers can't absorb and, and ultimately has to be met by someone, and, and unfortunately that's the consumer. So it's flowing through in terms of higher prices. I don't think we've seen the end of inflation yet. Our members are telling us that they're expecting to see prices increase by another sort of 7.5% over the current quarter. That's on top of the 8% or so that we've already seen this year. So, so that starts to get quite significant and quite difficult for customers at the end. And these cost pressures certainly show themselves in product prices. I remember seeing four chilli shorts in my local supermarkets, 50 grams selling at $10, not per kilo, but for that pack, so that... I think it comes down to $200 a kilo for chili. I mean, some of the price pressures are enormous. Uh, abs absolutely. And some of that, of course, is driven by where the product is coming from, particularly in fresh food. If you're buying imported food out of season, it's going to cost you more, and the cost of freighting it here is, is significant, and, and that's a key part of, of, of the cost of that. But across the board, we are seeing prices move. They're moving up, generally speaking. Fuel, of course, is, is going up as well. There's a whole host of reasons that sit in behind that. But the impact of that for retailers is that customers are spending more on petrol than they were a year ago. 
and unfortunately that means they're spending less on, on other things. So for the retailer, you've got extra cost and actually less revenue coming in as well. You represent many different retailers, from the very small to the very big, from retailers selling lollies to retailers selling probably washing machines and household items. Where do you see that consumer reluctance to spend most pronounced these days? Uh, look, I think we're seeing that really on anything that's not fuel. Fuel is a key thing that people need to buy in order to, to transport themselves around the country. Food is obviously something that people are definitely purchasing because they need to feed themselves and their families. But beyond that, I think there's real pressure across appliances, across clothing, leisure activities, any, any kind of discretionary retail spending is under a bit of pressure at the moment. I, I read in a European newspaper that for some German retailers like Aldi and Lidl, that's retailers selling both food and non-food items. They've basically taken anything over 20 euros out of their stores that is not food because there's absolutely no willingness by, from consumer side to spend on anything discretionary at the moment. Do you see the same trend here? I, I don't think we're quite that bad at this point, but I think the, the pressure is definitely building there and you know the businesses that are going to be most squeezed over the next couple of years probably are those that are selling those more discretionary items. So your members feeling are feeling the pressure on many fronts. They're also feeling the pressure when it comes to even finding staff. Absolutely. Staff is probably the biggest challenge that I'm hearing about at the moment. We think that there are several thousand vacancies across the retail sector and they're jobs that we just can't fill. There aren't enough workers here in New Zealand to fill those roles. Part Where have they all gone? Well, I think there were a lot of people foreign workers who were here on some sort of temporary visa pre-COVID. Many of them went home through the pandemic and haven't come back. We've seen international students not really being here in New Zealand at the moment, and normally they would be a part of the, the workforce that, that, that's employed in, in retail. And generally our immigration settings have become quite restrictive and we're not very welcoming to foreign workers anymore. So while retailers don't typically go offshore to recruit in volume, we do typically employ the people who are here in New Zealand for other reasons. And because we just haven't been seeing those immigrants come in, there's fewer workers. But it's all going to be fine, says the government, because the border is open, people can come in now, but you say they are not coming in, and even if they're here, it is difficult for your members to employ them. Well, that's right. I, I don't think New Zealand is as attractive a destination for migrant workers as, as we might like to think. There's a lot of great things about New Zealand, obviously, but the reality is that we're quite distant from the rest of the world. It costs a lot of money to get down to New Zealand from wherever you're coming from. Our immigration settings are not particularly welcome. The government has put in place or is putting in place a new immigration framework that really is designed to attract people with you know, extremely valuable skills to fill particular skill shortages. Doctors, for example, are sort of part of that, software engineers, people like that. Nurses. Nurses. But what we're not seeing is a process that allows people to come and work in sectors that are not favoured by by the government, even though we've got massive skills shortages in those spaces. Yeah, the government, I think, makes it relatively easy to take people in at twice the, the median wage. Well, most people working in retail probably wouldn't me meet that level, and yet they're important for the functioning of the economy, so you can't get them in easily. Th that's right. I mean, the government, government policy seems to be driven by this idea that there's this whole group of New Zealanders who can be trained up to come and work in retail and hospitality and other service sectors. The reality is that they're just not there. There, there is a very tight employment market, and there's very few people who are 
unemployed. And I think the reality is if you are not currently in work, it's probably because you, you either genuinely can't because of, of some physical issue or you really don't want to. And what about the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy trying to get foreign workers to work for you? Um, well, it's 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 difficult now and it's going to get worse. As I say, most retailers aren't sort of going offshore to job fairs and signing people up to come and work here in New Zealand. But from next year, the government's going to be requiring all employers of anyone on a temporary visa to be accredited with Immigration New Zealand. So even people who are already in the country on a visa, on a temporary visa, if you want to employ them, you have to be accredited as an employer. That's, that is correct. And that is probably quite a tiresome process? And that is, is, it's an expensive process. From what I hear, immigration is taking a very long time to process applications. How long, by um, the way? Uh, look, months is, is what I'm hearing. So it's not a short-term fix. So I think mm. everyone really needs to be starting to plan now for 1 July because the reality is that you know, nearly half the population of New Zealand was born abroad. So there are lots of people here who could well be on some of those temporary visas and you're going to need to be accredited in order to employ them from, from next year. So, um, so say you've got an Asian student in New Zealand on a temporary visa, the student has already been here maybe for a year or two, wants to work in retail, the employer now has to register, go through all sorts of hurdles, and then probably also demonstrate that they couldn't find anyone else, right? I, I don't think there's a work test that applies in those cases, but there's certainly an accreditation process. And the reason that accreditation process has been brought in is because there's a perception that foreign workers are being exploited here in New Zealand. I don't think that's, I mean, it is true that there have been cases of migrant exploitation, but I certainly don't think it's true at large. Most employers in New Zealand are good employers who want to do the right thing by their people, whether they are New Zealanders, Iraqis or Chinese students who have, who have come in. And the reality is we've already got law to deal with minimum terms and conditions of employment and I think you know really we would be better off focusing on cases where we have got issues and dealing with bad employers rather than putting in place a whole new process across the top that impacts everyone to, to deal with only, only a very small number of people. Are your members even aware of these changes coming in? We've certainly been talking to our members about the changes that are coming. They are quite scary for many businesses and they contribute to, I think, a general sense of malaise in the business community. There's a lot of compliance, a lot of complexity coming down the track from government. We've got the immigration accreditation requirements, we've got fair pay agreements I was going to up. ask you about that. <laughs> and modern slavery, potentially, as well. And, and, and while, you know, no one in my sector wants to be treating anyone in their supply chains badly, we need to really look at what is being put forward. We need to look at, actually, whether the proposals that are going to be put in place are actually going to deliver anything to make a real difference or are they just going to create massive compliance for business? Well, let's take these two issues in turn, maybe starting with the fair pay agreements. We've done a lot of work at the initiative on fair pay agreements and our position has always been that they are not needed because if you look back 30 years, you would see that wages typically went up in line with productivity as they should. The government's position is different. The government says, no, 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 we have to push up wages first and then somehow companies will figure out how to lift productivity. We think this is relatively unrealistic because it doesn't typically work that way. But what does it do then for your members on a practical side once we have these fair pay agreements, assuming that they would be rolled out not just for one or two small sectors but for big sectors like retail? Yeah. I mean, it depends 
depends, I think, very much on, on what's in those agreements. The, and, what do you and, expect? And where, where they end up landing. Certainly, if you look across the Tasman, I, I know it's a very different environment there. They don't have the negotiations that are envisaged here for fair pay agreements, but they do have national awards that apply across the sector. There's significant penal rates that apply for retail, and there are different allowances that apply. So, so it's They're a incredibly complex in Australia. A- absolutely. So it's complex to administer, it's complex to understand, and it's very expensive. And it can drive productivity, but actually in retail, that's not necessarily a good thing for employees or for customers, because in retail, to become more productive, you either need to reduce number of employees, so get rid of people, perhaps automate your checkouts, you know, have fewer shop assistants on the floor to help customers out. You can put your prices up to deal with the extra costs that are coming down the track, or potentially reduce costs in other ways, such as reducing your trading hours and ultimately becoming less convenient and accessible for your customers. And if you go to Australia, uh, you see this quite clearly coming through in the in the restaurant and cafe space, for example, where you typically will have a fifteen percent surcharge that applies for a public holiday and a ten percent surcharge that applies on Sundays every Sunday, and that's driven by the penal rates that are in place. And you think that that kind of regime is likely to be introduced? Well, I, th- I, I suspect that that's the direction of travel. The government looks across the Tasman to to Australia, I think, on these issues. And, and, and I, I fear that that's where we, will, where we will be headed. Fundamentally, of course, that reduces flexibility for everyone as well. And at the moment, one of the great things about working in retail is that it is a really flexible environment for everyone. So if you want to work part-time, perhaps in the evenings, because that suits your lifestyle or your, your other commitments, you've actually got quite a lot of opportunity to do that. But if mm. stores start closing earlier, those opportunities will just evaporate. All right. And modern slavery? So modern slavery, that is something that concerns supply chains. So something that might happen thousands of kilometers away from New Zealand. Would that in theory mean that even if you're running a small dairy in New Zealand, you are responsible for what's happening in the supply chain somewhere, wherever in the world really? Yeah, there's a bit of detail to be worked through on that. And we've certainly made a submission around it. But, you know, most businesses in New Zealand want to do the right thing. They are about providing good products and supporting people right the way through their supply chain. The problem with what's being proposed is that there's a lot of reporting and a lot of compliance, again, all of which is going to drive massive costs and some of which will be outside the control of the And not just outside their control, outside their visibility. They would have no idea. that's, That's absolutely right. And, you know, a lot is going to depend on exactly what level of information needs to be provided. But again, it's just one of those things that makes it harder and harder to run your business and it makes it harder and harder to keep on top of compliance requirements. Right. And as if all of that wasn't enough to make life hard for retailers, there's also social unemployment insurance now. What's yes. your position on that? So look, we, we have real concerns about the insurance scheme that's being proposed. Again, it's coming at a terrible, terrible time. And, and really, it's just going to drive additional cost into running a business. And actually, it's going to take money out of employees' pockets as well. So we have a cost of living crisis. And we have significant inflationary pressures that aren't going away. Businesses are struggling to get out of the COVID-19 slump that, that, that we've been in. This is really not the time to be putting extra cost into a market that is actually already partly served by private enterprise anyway. And I mean, there's a threshold, of course, a cutoff point for which you don't have to pay the extra roughly 3% anymore of tax for to pay for this social unemployment insurance scheme. But basically, all of your employees in retail are under that threshold. So for, for them and for your 
members, it's an effective 3% tax increase. That, that's absolutely right. And, and that's a lot of money to suck out of the retail sector. So in retail, the average net margin is about 3.9%. So that means for every $20 that someone goes and spends in a retail store or spends online, there's about 80 cents in profit. You know, it's not a high margin business. So if you start taking 3% off the, the bottom line for the insurance scheme, perhaps another couple of percent for increased wage costs, all of that starts to really put the viability of retail businesses into question. Plus an extra public holiday, where you have to pay public holiday rates, of course. Absolutely. There's just all this cost that makes it harder and harder to sustain your business. And Actually, on that, under the Holidays Act, you have to give your employees an extra day off and pay them the extra rate for the public holiday. Is that right? That's right. So under the Holidays Act, normally if you work on a public holiday, you'll get time and a half for working on the day, plus you'll get an extra day off as well. Now, under fair pay negotiations... And if that holiday then gets Mondayized, then you pay that again, right? Yeah, so you can only you can only actually be paid for one public holiday as an employee, but if you are an employer and you've got multiple people across your business, potentially you do have two public holidays if, if it's a Mondayized holiday that, that you need to be worrying about. Right, okay, so we have already talked about all the cost pressures coming down to retailers. We have talked about their inability to find staff anymore. We have talked about their rising costs in energy. We have talked about supply chains drying up. To make life a little bit harder for your members, because everything else is so easy, you're dealing with a massive crime wave too. That's right. So um, the crime wave, I mean, we, we, we hear a lot about RAM rates, but basically every person who's ever committed a RAM rate probably started their criminal career as a shoplifter. Retail crime is a massive issue, and it's manifesting itself in, in multiple ways. Like, it's always been a big issue for retailers. You've got people who steal stuff through through shoplifting. You've got, unfortunately, quite a lot of internal crime as well, so employees who are stealing product or, or stealing cash out of the business. Um, and what we've seen increasingly is that theft is, is organised, it's increasingly aggressive, and it's increasingly being done in ways that are designed to shock and excite social media followers such as such as the ram raids and some of the more violent activity that we're seeing and that's really really concerning because and when you say it's organized you mean gangs absolutely mm. so both the kinds of gangs that we read about in the news all the time but also just organized criminal gangs who are getting together because they want to steal high value items out of retail stores and then on sell them to generate some quick cash you mean um, cigarettes Oh, well, not just cigarettes. There's a surprising range of products that are being targeted. And I often hear about, you know, people who are loading up trolleys of product from whatever shop it is and they're just sort of waltzing out the door. Perhaps they've got some other people in, the, in, in, in there to distract team members and so forth. But it is a really serious issue. And it's not, people often think, oh, retail crime. It's a bit of shoplifting. It's a kid stealing a chocolate bar or something. It's not that. It's much, much worse. And, and someone's going to get hurt at the end of the day. That's, that, I think, is the biggest fear. There's, there's massive cost with it. But actually, there are real health and safety considerations that we're seeing. And whether it's a customer or an employee, everyone should be able to go to the shops all the time, feel safe while they're there, and come home safe. Do your members feel properly protected by the police, properly listened to by the police? We're working really hard with the police to try and improve responsiveness on, on retail crime issues. We had a summit at, on retail crime issues at Parliament last year. The police have moved to launch a new national retail investigation support unit, which is doing really good stuff, looking at 
perhaps some of the worst offenders we're seeing in, in retail piecing the threads of intelligence together and they are going out and arresting people and those those people are going through the court system. So so that's a really good thing. There's always more that can be done. And ultimately though, I think we really need to be asking ourselves the question, why is it in New Zealand, you know, we're a great community, a great society, why is it that there's this, this increasingly large number of people who think that it's okay to go out and steal, think that it's okay to go out and threaten people, even to bash them over or, or, or kill them potentially. You know, there's something dark going on, I think, in the community that we need to try and address and we need to teach people some pretty fundamental basics about living in a community and that is that it's actually not okay to steal stuff, it's not okay to threaten people and, and you need to respect both personal and private property. But why is all of that How much does it have to do, for example, with our decline in the education system? I mean, there's obviously a, a you know a huge question about what's behind that, and I you've I, got more time to be a shoplifter if you're not at school. That's right, and I think resolving it does need you know a big investment in education. It needs a big investment in justice, and it needs a big investment across the welfare portfolios as well. We need to have people who are engaged in society, who are working to better themselves who want a stake in the community and who feel that they have a stake in the community. And I think the problem at the moment is there's too many people who don't. Mm. I want to go back briefly to the question of cigarettes. We have heard stories about a massive increase in the black market for cigarettes because the official government policies, of course, to regulate cigarettes out of existence. But there are still people who want to smoke and they find their cigarettes, but not in official retail outlets, but increasingly on the black market, controlled by the gangs we just talked about. How much of a concern is that for you? That is a significant concern. Black market tobacco products are certainly on the rise. One of the unfortunate things is that I think that the more you try and control the supply of a, of a legal product, the more opportunity there is for the illegal kinds of that product to, to hit the market. I don't have the figures with me at hand, but there's certainly been a big jump in the volume of illegal tobacco coming into the market. It's a massive issue overseas, and I think we're going to go, we are going to see more and more of that over time as the government tries to further restrict supply and make it harder to, to smoke legally. The other kind of thing that flows into that whole question about tobacco is kind of the, the number of outlets that are able to sell it. So the government's got this this vision of maybe 500 shops nationwide that are able to, to sell tobacco. You know, I think there are real problems with that because 500 stores is not a lot in the context of a country the size of New Zealand. And the reality is if you don't allow people to access these products in, in a safe way in the community, you do potentially create even worse problems in terms of, of the black market, but also actually you undermine the viability of some of these businesses that are perhaps the only store in a community servicing everyone who lives there uh, for, for a range of goods. And that legislation is currently before Parliament? That, that's absolutely right. So we're expecting to see the final shape of that, guess, over the next few months. I had a look at the bill One aspect that alarmed me or surprised me was that for each of these 500 outlets, you also now need another process of consulting with EWI. Is that something that concerns you? Well, I think that the, the whole idea of licensing these premises is something that concerns me, simply because it's another compliance cost for exactly, businesses yes. that are trying to do the right thing. And it just becomes harder and harder to, to run your business. And, and ultimately, you'll have people who think, actually, This is too hard. It's not worth it. I'm not making significant money 
out of my retail store doesn't have a future. I can't find a buyer for it. We're just going to close it down. And ultimately, communities are the poorer for that. And to me, it read like a barrier to entry because if you first have to go through another EV consultation process to get a license to be one of these 500 shops nationwide to be allowed to sell tobacco products, that cannot be good for competition. No, I mean, I think the moment you restrict the number of stores and create licenses and restrict the number of licenses, however however those licenses are allocated, there's going to be some people who are big winners from that. They will make significant volumes of money and everyone else is going to suffer as a result. So we've just heard from you a litany of problems for retailers in New Zealand. Have we actually forgotten any? Those are probably the biggest issues, but I, I think they have you know, a culmination of all of those things does make it really challenging and 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 it's created the sense of gloom i think in the retail community covid-19 is is the other thing that's still which we haven't even on. talked properly about no, and, and and the mask requirements that are in, are still in place for retail really don't make any sense whatsoever what would you do about them well well at the moment it is a legal requirement that any customer or any staff member in a retail premises needs to be wearing a mask almost nobody outside Wellington, with its dutiful public servants, almost no one is wearing masks in retail around the country. We think that about two-thirds of customers around the country are refusing to mask up. There's there's a host of reasons behind that, not least the fact that the government has created a self-declared exemption process, so anyone who doesn't like wearing a mask can declare that they are exempt, and that's okay, according to the government. And the moment that anyone in retail is asking customers to put a mask on, they're often on the receiving end of quite a lot of abuse and quite a lot of aggression and and threats of violence even in some cases. So it creates a really difficult situation for retailers to operate in. And the masks are still keeping some people away from the shops. I think the evidence suggests that people are worried about going out in the community because of the mask requirement. And none of it makes any sense because, of course, you can go to the pub you can be in a crowded room of 200 people and not wear a mask, but the moment you go into a dairy where you're the only customer, you need to be masked up. I think it, the government's logic was that nobody is forced to go to a bar and you can always drink at home, but everybody's forced to go to a supermarket. Well, I, I don't think that's true, though. You know, there's a range of shops from which you can buy groceries. You can do your grocery shopping online and nobody's forcing you to go into any shop, whether it's a supermarket or a dress shop or a bookshop. You know, everyone has got choices these days and and, and the rise of online has certainly meant that you can do all your shopping if you want to without, without leaving the comfort of your home. So your solution would be to leave it to the discretion of individual shop owners? Well, that's right. I think we really need to get to a point where shop owners can make their own decisions about whether customers need to be masked up or not. And of course, customers should have the the choice ultimately about whether they want to comply with that or there is no requirement they should be able to put a mask on if if they want to. I think Australia... Well, that would be a property rights-based solution, which is almost unheard of in New Zealand these days. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be be a sensible approach and and actually very much in line... I would like to see that approach apply to so many other policy areas. Absolutely. But but it is what's happening in Australia. So, So I've been in Australia a couple of times this year. There are no longer any mask requirements pretty yeah, much outside airplanes. Yes. And it makes a massive difference to the retail environment. And what's really interesting, I think, is that if you look at the case numbers on a state-by-state basis in Australia, they're not really dissimilar to what we're seeing here in New Zealand. Yet we have a, a mask rule for retail, which is apparently a really key thing. They don't in Australia, but there's no difference to the rate of COVID infection. So that suggests that either our mask policy doesn't work or that it's not being enforced. 
But now I think we have really covered all of retail's problems. Still, the question actually remains, why would anyone want to be in retail these days? Is it a problem now that has become so big with all the regulations, with the tight labor market, with cost pressures, with all the regulatory interventions that we just talked about? Is New Zealand becoming just too hard for some potentially big retailers that they wouldn't even consider getting into the country, entering the market? Or is it actually already at the point where some retailers are thinking of exiting the market? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I think we are still seeing international retailers looking at New Zealand and thinking, oh, here's a, here's a market. It's, a, it's still a relatively affluent market and there's still opportunity there. So we've got a Costco opening in Auckland in the not-too-distant future. IKEA's coming into Auckland. Finally. Finally. Yeah. You know, so, so, so some of these big international firms are looking at us and thinking, oh, actually, there's there's some some opportunity there. And, and in the longer t- I think they're looking to the longer term and thinking, you know, over time there will be continued growth in, in those markets. So I don't think it's entirely gloomy from that front, but I'm not detecting that there's a great rush of other big international firms queuing up to, to look to come into New Zealand in the retail space. It's certainly good that, that some are. I'm not hearing that businesses are planning to leave New Zealand at this point, but at, a, at the smaller end of town, there are certainly really big pressures on small businesses and, and, and quite a number of smaller firms are thinking, actually I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to keep going because it is all too hard and the, the financials just don't stack up at the end of the day. So 32% of our members are telling us that they're not confident they're going to survive the next 12 months. That, that is a large number. It's, it's a massive number and I think it just shows the pressure that's on particularly the smaller end of retail that's often not not well understood. Often, you know, we've got these small family businesses. They employ only a relatively small number of people, but they make very little money. You know, quite a large proportion of of retail business owners actually don't pay themselves minimum wage because they're too busy investing back into their business, paying their staff perhaps more than they're taking out of the business themselves, and and trying to keep going. And and, and you can do that for a little while. I think we've seen over the last couple of years people really leverage themselves more to keep their businesses going, but you just can't sustain that in the long run if you're not getting the return. So let's finish on a more positive note. If I gave you a magic wand and you could solve three, four or five public policy issues, or if I made you write a wish list for the current government or maybe for the next government, what are the things politicians could do immediately to solve many of your problems? I think the biggest thing that could be done in the short term is to look at our immigration settings and really, really loosen them up into a more permissive framework. Um, and that could be done relatively easily. I, I, I think so. I mean, at the moment, you know, even if you're you're coming from a, a country that is like New Zealand, a developed country, you've got some quite big hurdles to get through if you want to come and live here or work here. If you, if we, if we took some of those barriers away and made it much, much easier, perhaps even removed visa requirements for some countries, you might find that actually we could plug quite a number of holes in the labour market, both from everything from doctors and engineers down to people working in retail and hospitality. And and that would be a good thing because it would enable businesses to operate better, it would support the economy, it would see a bit more oomph coming back into, into the market. And you know, that, that that I think would be would be a really positive thing. Great. So that's wish number one. Wish number two? Number two, I think we really need to start looking at reducing some of the compliance requirements and the restrictions that still apply 
to retail stores. There's a whole whole host of them. But, you know, everything from trading hours around public holidays down to down to some of the licensing requirements that are in play for some products. I think if we can perhaps take some of those away, uh, make it easier, and recognise that we're a really small country. Easter trading is a classic example. At the moment, shops must, by law, be closed on Easter Sunday, which is not even a public holiday. You cannot unless, s- sell alcohol on Easter Sunday. No, that, that's, that's right, unless your local council has agreed that you can open your the, your store on Easter Sunday. Now, the good thing As is... As a good Catholic, by the way, I've never understood that rule. I can understand from a religious perspective why you wouldn't want to sell any alcohol on Good Friday because it's not the most joyful day. But on Easter Sunday, I mean, this is the day when Christians are supposed to celebrate. How can they do that if they can't even get a bottle of wine? Well, well, in Rome, which is, you know, as close a commercial centre as you yes. can get to the centre of the Catholic Church, uh, shops are open on Easter Sunday. Exactly. There's no trading restrictions. It doesn't make any sense. It, it, makes, it really makes no sense. And I think it's probably mired in history where, you know, we, where all businesses were required to close over weekends in, in the not too distant past. And uh, th- therefore, I think we kind of Mondayized mm. uh, the holiday. But, but of course, as, as the world has changed, as uh, people's work habits have changed, as people's consumption habits have changed, we really haven't kept pace with that. So we need to really, uh, I think, just take away some of these restrictions okay, and so let people make their own decisions. So wish number one, immigration. Wish number two, getting rid of regulations. You've got one final wish. Look, I think I'd really be saying let's have a look at some of the the tax impost that's put on New Zealanders. And one thing I think that would be worth looking at is, is GST. At the moment, the second biggest area of retail spending in New Zealand is GST. New Zealanders spend a little over $4,000 a year on average on a per household basis paying tax to the government when they go shopping. That's not particularly transparent. It contributes to higher prices. And I think there's real opportunity to perhaps let Kiwis keep more of their own money and perhaps keep that circulating in the economy and you would perhaps stimulate demand if you if you allowed people, if you reduced the GST impost and you made things a bit cheaper. I guess that might be the first time in this podcast that we might have a slight disagreement. Actually, I think the GST system is relatively clean in New Zealand, and I wouldn't want to jeopardise that. But I'm all in favour of lower taxes in general. Oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that we should be lowering the rate of GST generally. I'm not suggesting necessarily that we would pick, pick winners and losers in there because if you make products and services are cheaper, then ultimately they're more affordable for Kiwis. Oh, I would probably cut income taxes. Well, I think that's the other thing that could be looked at. I'm certainly not exclusively focused on GST, oh. but you know, if, if you if you look at the, the the tax rates that are that are paid by by New Zealand, some of the inequities that sits in there, particularly for families where you might have one person working and, and one person staying at home with the kids, there are some real real issues in there, and they could be usefully looked at. Okay, so with your wish list implemented, how likely do you think it is we'll get back to the usual kind of 1% to 3% inflation within the next few years? Look, I think inflation is, is going to be really challenging over the next couple of years. But what we really do need to look at, I think, is how we can take cost out of doing business because ultimately that will allow some of those inflationary pressures to to be dissipated and you know uh, particularly around border requirements getting product in and out of the country um, anything we can do to make transport cheaper um, there's a whole lot of things there that could help great well then let's hope that the government and the opposition will listen to you but for now thank you very much for joining us on the podcast thank you